from a Roman perspective, they would be happy to have a, a pandemic because they would say, so the weak will die, you know? So we'll, <laughs> we'll raise only, it's better to be less and strong rather than, you know, for the army. This very... of, like, like a very Spartan mindset, you know? Hello everyone to this new episode of uh, The Voice of Empire. Today we're going to follow the path that we start about reviewing movies. The first one was Apocalypto and this one is going to be The Gladiator, a film of a 2000 film uh, movie of who's the author? Ah, uh, Ridley, Ridley Scott. Scott. Yeah. And uh, he also did uh, Alien. Yeah, it it, it made quite a weird movies, to be honest, like, you know, like, it's not a guy that, a very normal guy, you know, and uh, we've been watching... It's a bit of a red unit. Yeah. I mean, I watched this, like, movie many times, but I had to watch it again because I almost forgot many parts, and uh, I think, Tom, it was your first time, right? Yes, I have not seen this movie before. Although I've known of it for like a, a while, yeah, it's the first time I've seen it. So, um, and uh, what do you think about it? Well, uh, I think it is very entertaining. Uh, firstly, that's that's my first thing is that it was very entertaining. It's a funny one as far as historical accuracy or inaccuracy is concerned because it's not very accurate in terms of real history, but it did sort of show the, I guess, the spirit of Roman history pretty well, even though what they depicted was entirely accurate. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. Like, in terms of historical accuracy, it's very bad, like... I saw also like how the I also clothes... just love how like the main characters an Aussie. Yeah. Yeah. Fanny I mean full grown Aussie. Yeah, that's right. I mean you can notice that is an Hollywood movie, you know, like yeah. The way it's portrayed. It's just for the sake of entertaining, which is fair enough. But you know, at the same time, especially in the first, like you can notice, like if you studied have studied a little bit of history you can notice in the first battle you know in the very first ones that uh, like the roman army is completely inaccurate like that uh, like that the uh, the weapons that they use are not accurate and um they are more i think they are more like the movie set is set in the um, i think in in the first century it's uh, 180 wrong. AD. Yeah, uh, 188. Yeah. Okay, so second century, and this Roman, yeah. it's more more uh, related to the Republican area, which is uh, before Christ, you know. So it's 200 years ago, you know. And uh, I think I would assume that in that period of time, the Romans would have had adopted a more like medieval kind of medieval like. Um, equipment okay. you know so like so you think that they they're less uh they're meant to look more yeah like, more um, barbarians not barbarians because you know like it's a very bad 
like term to you know but uh, also the like, more modern equipment then mod- yeah but also like the the shape of the shields that were rectangular like I, this is a like a very it's an highlight of the republican area it's a very like uh, you know it's an highlight of the republican area yeah. whilst the more in the imperial area like they got rid pretty pretty quickly of the shape of the you know shape because the their technique changed and they adopted a more circle more round shields you know so yeah yeah okay um so this is why i say like more barbarians because they are not barbarians but in the film in the movie they are the, the barbarians have this square you know like these square shields and uh, you know why you know you're listening romance. to two absolute nerds when we, the first thing we bring up is the shape of their shields. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I think, yeah, w- one thing that you can notice about the accuracy is how, like, the clothes, all these things, you know. So, yeah. And I think they made also some, as well, some, um, like, um reviews about the historical accuracy and I think it's very bad but having said that the movie is very entertaining entertaining and completely agree with you you know yeah um what do you like pointing out uh that Russell Crowe is the the actor who plays the main character whose name is Maximus uh or Maximus um I, I realize that every Latin name I'm going to pronounce will sound like an Aussie name because of my accent. Um, so please rely yeah. off Marco's pronunciation of all the words and names. Um, right. So with the history of it, um, the year it's set in is, is, as I said, 180 AD. So this is the end of what's known as the Marcomannic Wars. So there was a Germanic tribe called the Marcomanni who um it's funny it sounds like a latin name they they sort of all got their names from the um the romans they at least the names that we use in uh, in history so the marcomannic wars were fought between the romans and several other groups in what's now germany france poland ukraine that area this particular um series of wars which was it ended in 180 I don't quite remember when it started, but it was a while back. Um, Long time ago. Someone fact check this in the in the uh, our, our listeners. Uh, I, th- I think it was about sixty years or something. Um, so there was a group called the Marcomini. There was a group called the Quadi or Quadi, and then a group called the Iazigis. Who <laughs> probably didn't so say that right? They were I'm some fact checking it. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. 14 years, 1-4. Four. Uh, 14. Yeah, Okay, 14. so it wasn't 60 years. Yeah. Yeah, but... And, oh, uh, I could got that completely yeah. wrong. It's okay. And, uh, yeah. like, yeah, so Marcomani, Quadi, and uh, Nari- Longobards, uh, also other, you know, other, yeah, yeah ethnic groups. You had a mixture of these, like, Germanic people... Yeah, and Samartian people. Samartians are a people from 
they're, they're semi-nomadic or they were semi-nomadic. They moved from Central Asia to around Ukraine. They weren't completely like the Huns though, although I think they did have, uh, they, I think they used horses. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, all these armies did use horses at times, but like, um, anyway, you don't actually see them in the movie. All you see is the, is just a sort of, Unnamed it's a random army, yeah, a random army. Yeah, yeah very bad typical. Made, you know, like, no, I mean, like, uh, it's a, I feel like there's a lot of stereotype in that army, you know, like, uh, yeah. you know, also the guy that is beheaded, uh, you know, the, you know, everyone with the fur coats, you know, like it's very, you know, yeah, Germanized, you know. Fur coats, yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah, sounds good. Like, so in terms of what the idea. barbarians yeah. actually wore, um, I mean, I'm sure they wore fur from time to time, but the, their clothing was probably much less sort of um, fancy. I think if all the army wears the fur, the, the fur clothing, there won't be any more in the forest anymore. <laughs> that being said, there was there was still more animals than people back then. Yeah, so, um, no, yeah, yeah, they would have had to kill a lot of a lot of bears. Yeah, a lot of um, yeah. poor bears. Um, so the actual battle, I, I just want to point out, it's it's meant to be the battle of Laugarizio. Uh, how, did I say that right? L a u g a r i c i o, Laugarizio. Laugarizio. Sure. It's 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 in modern day. Um, uh, is it Croatia? It's one of the the former Yugoslav countries, but it's it's around that that area of the world. Um, I, I would say Laugarizio. Uh, Laugarizio. Yes. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. Um. In terms of the equipment that the Romans used, um, one thing that was accurate, I believe, was the use of blisters and onagers. So a ballista is a contraption that fires a giant arrow. It's kind of like a massive crossbow on wheels. Um, yeah, it's like a very big arc. Sunk. I mean, mechanized, of course. You yeah. Know. This is sort of what artillery was back in the antiquity. Um, and then there was onagers. Uh, I'm going to do a quick, a quick Google search. But my, my understanding is that they are effectively catapults. Yeah, but it's weird. Uh, the catapults, yeah. I mean, no, it's possible because the catapults were invented by the ancient Greeks, I think. Yeah. And the Romans were quite famous for adopting Sieging. technology. Yeah, yeah technology yeah, and, and equipment. Um, yeah, there, there was sort of like a catapult, uh, sort of a small catapult, not like a massive trebuchet, like a renaissance or a trebuchet, but a um, sort of a smaller thing. Anyway, so what, what they do is they'd, they'd have these in their formations and they'd sort of fire them into the, uh, the lines of enemies that they're facing thing that I'm, I'm not too sure about is you see a bit where the soldiers the, the roman soldiers uh light their arrow tips on fire and fire them into the forest now uh i'm an expert on historical archery but i, I don't think this was a common thing to do typically yeah. I don't think either. The thing is, I'm not. I, I, we need to fact check this thing, but yeah. I never heard. Uh, like I never studied this kind of uh, technique. You know. Yeah. 
Now, we're just going to do a quick search here on Acosia, which is a, a search engine that helps plant trees. Just, just plugging this for in a bit of propaganda. Uh, I'm oh, just really? going to do a search of... Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's linked to a, a tree planting initiative. So, like, it generates revenue from... Searching generates revenue, and they put that revenue towards planting trees. So that's that's been the little little ad interjection in our podcast. We are we are not sponsored by Ecosia. I just want to point out for... Um, so, Roman soldiers, let's say 200 AD, round to the nearest, uh, the nearest century. We're just going to have a look at what they look like around 200 AD based off depictions from um, uh, various internet sources. Um, so, based off the drawings I can see, um, they actually don't look too different to the Republican era Romans, the typical Romans that wear loreke and um, have like the, the sort of leather skirts. Um, between 100 and 150 AD, they still look like that. Um, although around 200, it looks like they had chain mail. Right. Yeah, you, you're right about the round shield. Um, yeah, round shield. Like this square one, uh, sorry, the the like rectangular one has been abandoned like before year zero, yeah. I think. Year one, year so they, like, the... oh, I think it's used in the Republican area, not in the Imperial area. Like to let you know, guys, the, the Imperial area is when Augustus became the emperor nominates himself as the emperor which is uh, close to year zero is like i think it's 7 bc uh, let's let me check hey i think they still use the the square shields in the first century so from zero ad up until um about well i guess 99 ad um so the yeah, early imperial sorry. era yeah, but, the Imperial area starts in 27 BC. Sorry. Yeah, so they still use them for a bit. Um, so when they invaded Britain and when they fought against uh, the... What was his name? Uh, there's there's Vers a series on Netflix. Oh, yeah, Versangeturites. Yeah. Um, it's the, the only name in French that I could pronounce just happens to be Versailles. Yes. When they fought against Versailles, they also had that uh, type of shield in the, the, the Lorica. Um, but also there was another, there was, there was another Germanic kind of, um, or, so, sorry, Versailles was Celtic, but then there was a, a Germanic um, kind of leader in Northern Germany who, organized resistance against the Romans, but I can't remember his name. It's Ar um, Arminius. 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 Yeah. Ah, yeah. Arminius. Arminius is, the story of Arminius is incredible. Do you know his story? Yeah, so, I, I watched I watched a Netflix series uh, based uh, off it. It was a German-made series called Barbarians. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so the betrayal. Yes, yes, the he betrayal. I mean, he didn't betray at the end because, yeah, because basically the Romans were like you a technique to like to make the barbarians weaker 
was to like to storm and um, uh, villages and to take the, their kids and then to raise their kids and and to let them to become Romans and then to use them to fight against them, you know, and say how Roman yeah. has achieved civilization, you know, you know. So, yeah. And uh, this guy, like, once he fought with the Romans, like, he be- I think he, beca- he became a general, a Roman general, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he was in the yeah. Roman army. Um, and when once he was leading like this, you know, like this army, he decided to switch side and go for the barbarians. So yeah, and he fought he fought the Romans by knowing all the you, the characteristic of the Roman army because he was one of the top figures. He was a general, you know. So yeah, very yeah. interesting story. It is, yeah. Now let's get back to a uh, gladiator. So. Uh, 180 AD, um, the sort of it's it's the the point at which Rome has not expanded its empire in like a good a good 60 years, probably more than that. I, I my memory is not perfect on this, but Marcus uh, Aurelius. What did you say? The, Aurelius is the second. Uh... Second century. I don't. I don't know. Like, what? No, sorry. Yeah, that's that's you... right. Because, yeah, se- second century AD is is yeah. the the it's, um. It's from uh, one one hundred to yeah to two hundred. Yeah. So um, sorry for for all our lists. We're at, we're on Zoom. We're recording this on Zoom, uh, and that's why it sounds like we're. We're sort of talking over and interrupting each other because yeah. the audio the, is not perfect. Dan Andrews is making us to stay at home. Hi, Kaden. Yeah, th- thanks, dictator Dan. <laughs> it's not like we're going to catch Delta or anything. Um, well, yeah, whatever whatever lockdowns we have to face here, it's probably much more lenient than what. A Roman emperor would do to keep people yeah, safe. Yeah, that's from, right. That's right. From the plague. Well, I think <laughs> from a Roman perspective, they would be happy to have a, a pandemic because they would say, "So the weak will die," you know. So we we'll, <laughs> we'll raise only. It's better to be less and strong rather than you know for the army. This the very... like like a very Spartan mindset, you know. The Spartan yeah, mindset, Spartan you know? kind of like quasi-fascist. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, this, yeah. So, Marcus Aurelius, he he claims in the movie, or the character in the movie claims that he expanded the empire. That he he points to a map and says. What you, you are looking at my creation or something like that. That is uh that is not true. Um, the Roman Empire reached a point before he came to power where they hadn't they weren't expanding anymore and the army was put towards keeping the peace. So you had barbarians on the outskirts of the empire that there were still wars um fought against them, but they weren't actually trying to expand the territory further. Um the last emperor who expanded the empire was Emperor Trajan, which is yeah. in English it's spelled like Trajan, Trajan, but it's, yeah, Trajan. Uh, one one seven, I think, is the year of maximum expansion of uh, the Roman Empire. One one seven, hundred and seventeen uh, okay. was the ap- apex. You know, the apex the of apex. the Romans. Yeah, more than that, they like the square 
kilometers covered were at, uh, at their highest level, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So Marcus Aurelius has a son called Commodus. And this is where, um, beyond the, uh, the sort of other more minor historical inaccuracies mentioned here, like the, uh, the Roman army sort of looking a little bit more antique than they should be. Um, this is where it really starts to go off the rails, but it does make for a very, very kind of uh, Greco-Roman style tragic story, um, which is what makes the movie so entertaining, is that Emperor Commodus uh, is told <laughs> as his, his father comes to... Oh, sorry, not Emperor Commodus, the, the heir to Emperor Aurelius... Um, Commodus told that he will not be succeeding his father as emperor and that instead the power will go not directly to the Senate but to the main character Maximus who is the the sort of general the war hero uh, the friendly happy war hero who's about to go home to his family in um, the Iberian Peninsula territory he's he's referred to as the Spaniard throughout the movies yeah Um, yeah so, as you could imagine, uh, Commodus, played by Joaquin Phoenix, uh, the Joker, is not particularly happy about this. And the main thing that does the damage is being told that it was Maximus, who he sort of envies because he feels Maximus received more love from his father than he does as his actual blood son. Uh, so, yeah, he's prepared to be emperor all his life and he's told he can't be emperor. So... It's understandable that he's, um, you know, a bit of a prick about it. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, although there are many historical inaccuracies, of course, I think it's good, like uh, the, like I think it's a good snapshot of, of, it's a good snapshot of all the power struggles that happened in a, like in in the same house, in the same, like, in a succession of uh, heirs, you know? So intra, mm. intra um, killings, uh, you know, intra-murders for uh, achieving the throne was, you know, was very, you know, like, was very free- frequent, you know? So I think the movie made, the, the director made, a, even though it's, it, it's completely like it's not a real story. I think he made a good overview about all the um, power struggles wi- within the like the emperors. And there's a very very interesting trope in this movie about respect versus authority, and like where power comes from. How Maximus throughout the film has more respect from the Roman army and uh, as a as a general than the emperor or the, the, the new emperor does as emperor. Um, yeah. Now, Good I don't point. actually know how Aurelius... Yeah, I don't actually know how Aurelius dies, but in the movie, he doesn't because Commodus murders him. <laughs> he just strangles him to death after the conversation where he finds out he's not going to be emperor. So Marcus Aurelius's wish in the movie is to have Commodus... Uh, sorry, is to have power go back to the Senate, to make it a republic again. Um. No, I'm pretty sure that Marcus Aurelius in real life is the one who, who, who like uh, enacted a law that brought back secession by male heir. So it's the complete opposite of him in the movie. Um, 
So that's that's a, a, a sort of fun fun thing. And Commodus is much more of a human in the movie than he is yeah. in, than he was in real life. Like much closer to a real human with like complex emotions. In real life, he didn't care at all about ruling or power. Really, he just he just wanted to run the uh, Colosseum Games, which is where the a lot of the, the movie takes place in the Colosseum and the, the gladiator battles. And he was sort of obsessed with them. And the depiction of him actually taking part is accurate in that in real life, he did actually get involved in gladiatorial battles, but they'd make sure they were rigged. So his opponent would not have any means of winning. Um, whereas in, in the movie, uh, the, the final scene he does before the sort of final scene, he does actually stab um Maximus before the battle starts so he's got a handicap and then Maximus kills him and then dies of his own wounds um which is a much more badass death than Commodus really received in real life what happened was he he had these lists of people that he was planning on like murdering because he was as you can imagine rather paranoid um sort of a paranoid uh tyrant type figure his sister found one of these lists and showed it to a bunch of other significant Romans who were also on that list. They then hatched a plot to kill him and they murdered him by strangling him in his own bathtub. Uh, so yeah, not particularly badass compared to the, the showdown in the movie. Um, yeah, I, I agree yeah. with, I'm very, I very agree with you about this. I think it's really related to Anaya theory perspective of, difference between power and uh, respect of power, actual power and uh, you know um, what did you say before like um, uh, so the, the difference so on the one hand a person can achieve power this just applies yeah. to, to like life i would say I institution, institutional power and then the actual power who really asserts yeah. power yeah so and in the movie Maximus is is like a he's sort of a, a kind, generous, honorable character. He's much he's very similar to Ned Stark in Game of Thrones or Jon Snow, one of those type of types, where he he treats people well, he does the right thing, and people respect him because of that. Versus the power you have through your title, um, and how at the end of the day, people might be kind of forced, especially in in Roman society, to respect the title. You know, the emperor, the general. Um, the Praetorian, but in their heart, they want to respect the the person who they that they want to follow the person who they respect. They want to give authority to the one who who earned their respect. Yeah, I agree. Like, yeah, it's a good and also like you can notice this thing also right now, even right now. It means like I think power struggle, power like competition, I think it does, it hasn't changed that much, you know. Of course, you know, like it depends on the contest, but I think there, there is a recognized power on one hand, and sometimes there, there can be other example of people who follow other kind of leaders, like which are, don't, are not represented as... Uh, are not depicted as their leader or that they have they, their power, but at the end, it's it's it is it, they hold the actual power. You know what I mean? Like, for example, yeah. 
I mean, this is a very big comparison. I under like be ready. Like for example, I I mean, you have more knowledge about me, hundred percent. But you know, um, now like expert are questioning the real power of Kim Jong Un and are seen as a more powerful figure. Her, his sister, you know, I don't mm. I don't know his name. You know his name? Ah, oh, yes, you... Kim Kim Yo Jong. Yeah. So I think this can be, I mean, it's very decontextualized, this, you know, like there are 2000 years of history, but it can be a, a good example to say that power struggle and power um, objectives have not changed that much considering so much time passes, you know, like 1800 yeah. century, you know, centuries, 18 centuries past. So, yeah. There's, there's some universal aspects of life that stay the same and aspects of yeah, society. Yeah, like the power structure. Like, I think the power struggle fits to, you know, the socio-political context. But at the same time, it's like it doesn't change much. It changes only according to the context it is, you know? Yeah. I'm just thinking about North Korea. I, I haven't done that much research into North Korea recently, like this year. Pairing but... the gladiator with North Korea is so wild. Oh my god. If 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 you're listening to this episode, you are you are going down such a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's are, right. It's 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 on you now for this. And Pyro is it's free of all responsibility. Is... It's so murky. The North Korean state is so murky, but Depending on the maneuvers that Kim Yo Jong has made throughout her life, it is quite possible that she has at least more respect or more authority within a certain faction. Yeah, of the another leadership, leadership. another thing is uh, like another example that I'm thinking about is uh, was the Medvedev presidency of Russia uh, when Putin was not in power. You know because. Uh, the constitution, the Russian constitution before Putin changed it, there was only a two-term limit for presidents. So Medvedev, yeah. his uh, second, became president and Putin was, you know, like, was directing his policies and then when they changed the constitution, you know, he could rule. So he, the, for, the institutional power was held by Medvedev, but the actual one was still held by Putin, you know. So this yeah. is another example. Yeah, of course, I think this this kind of things, like this kind of, um, you know, like this division between who recognize power or, or not are much more prominent in, uh, um, in uh, like, in the, in autocracies, of course. A similar example might be um, following the death of Mao Zedong in China. You had um, his, I believe his successor to either, I'm not sure if it was the the title of chairman or if they abolished that, but if it was like the, the head of state was I called Hua Guofeng, who wanted to keep China mostly the same as it had been under, under Mao. But then you had the faction of Deng Xiaoping, who, of course, started the reform and opening up. And he eventually won over in, in sort of 
factional politics and and took charge. He actually never held the position of, of like head of state, but he still became what's referred to as the paramount leader of China because of his, his influence, regardless of whatever position in the government he held. Yeah, um, I mean, there are plenty of uh, examples like this. Like, But of course, I think a common line is more in autocracies. And of course, like the concept that the Western concept of democracies that we have right now, like cannot be applied at all in the Roman Empire. So, you know, it's kind of worth. Yeah, it's very, very different. Uh, yeah. One such thing is slavery, which um, is just weird. I mean, slavery still exists in the world today, but it's it's just weird to think that that was a common aspect of Roman society. Um, whereas today you think of it, it's like it's abhorrent. And well, sure, it was abhorrent back then. Um, but yeah. in the movie, this is a very important part of the plot because what happens is after... Um, Commodus murders his dad. Um, he then uh, word quickly spreads throughout the uh, the camp. This is still taking place just after the the battle of of Laugarizio, By the way, this is like still in um, the, the the Balkans. Um, he's he's informed that Marcus Aurelius has mysteriously died and totally wasn't strangled, and then Commodus is like. Um, basically offers him a handshake to, to try and, you know, secure his loyalty. Uh, Maximus says, yeah, no, it just walks past him. At which point Commodus sends a bunch of dudes after him to try and kill him. Now being the fighting badass that he is, Maximus just owns them um, and escapes his execution. Uh, then he, he, he travels, he travels back to his home in, in modern day Spain discovers his wife and child have both been like crucified and burnt to death. Pretty horrible. And uh, he is, I think that's when someone like kidnaps him. Um, yeah. He gets, he gets like taken to Morocco. Into slavery. No, yeah. Algeria, not Morocco. Sorry. Other side of, of Northern Africa, um, Algeria, where he is, basically a slave and is bought and he's made a gladiator. And this is really a cool bit where you get like this sort of multinational team of, of fighters. It's um, you've got like the, the African guy, you've got the big German guy um, who's looks like he's a bit of a psychopath. Oh uh, yeah. It's a mixture of, yeah. of slaves from all the places ever reached yeah, by and, the Romans, and, you know? It's funny because it's it's a very modern thing to do in a movie is to have like a, a multi-ethnic kind of misfit crew of, of heroes. But at the same time, this is conceivable because there were definitely slaves from every kind of group of people, nation, tribe, whatever you want to call it, who were in the Roman Empire or next to the Roman Empire. Um, yeah, uh, our point is that like slavery was one of the like main drivers of uh, how Rome worked, apart from, you know, being like um, um, a gladiator, which is a warrior slave, you know, but also like how like slaves had to, especially local producer, local agricultural producer and landowners to produce, you know, 
like it was a, um, an effective and essential pillar of the Roman uh, history and economics as well. Hundred yeah. percent from the start yeah. of Rome. From the start, there has always been slavery. A lot of other ancient ancient civilizations as well. And Pyro does not endorse slavery, by the way. No, just, we're not. Just putting that out to the audience. Um, and another mainstay of Roman society was, of course, the Colosseum, which could fit 50,000 people and the gladiatorial games themselves. The movie does a good job of showing these, although they probably don't go far enough in how ridiculous these games kind of were, like how how seriously everyone took them and how like spectacular they were like there were instances where they even flooded the Colosseum and had sea battles yeah like, between ships that yeah um and there's a in one of the the battles this is this is just before Commodus realizes that Maximus is actually alive and has become a gladiator where they they want to recreate the Battle of Carthage uh where I don't, I don't remember the exact history, but I know Hannibal, either he sacks Rome or he almost sacks Rome. Correct me if I'm wrong, but then eventually he's defeated. W- um, which battles? Zuma. Uh, the, 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 the Carthaginian Wars. Yeah, Zama? the Zama battle. Yeah. No, it's when uh, basically, it's when basically Hannibal was that, you know, it was yeah. his last final battle. So he was supposed to, like the slaves, the gladiators were supposed to lose because they were representing Car- Carthago. You know? Yeah, they were the, the Carthaginians. And then yeah. you had the... Um, I, I love that scene where they they just... The announcers like, Behold the legions of Scipio Africanus. And then as the, the gates open and you have um, the the other gladiators who are playing the role of the, the Romans come out on chariots. Yeah, it's like now, a, what movie, I wonder is, a living movie, kind of. Yeah, basically, it's a living movie with actual death. Yeah. Um, it it seems really weird and dark, but Romans were exposed to death a lot. So seeing people die in an arena probably wasn't the weirdest thing. Um, yeah. Even though nowadays, you know, it's like, it's terrific. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree, um, and um, yeah, I think so. Uh, I think they wouldn't have, and also that was in general, you know, not also for uh, like from fight was much more common, you know, because of yeah. scientific. There was no scientific development, and uh, it was like people hundred percent would have, you know had brothers who died prematurely and so on and so forth so i think yeah you could die from flus as well whatever yeah um, you can yeah many people were couldn't be you know born you know like you know how many women that would die for when they were delivering you know so, so yeah. yeah very mortality. things that today would just be like super dark yeah um, like we take from Right now, we take for, for granted so many things, but unfortunately, yeah, like yes, and also um, life expectancy would have been so short. I want to see how how long was life expectancy. Not maybe not super long. <laughs> no, I think forty. Ah, uh, yeah. so, <laughs> um, 
So basically, uh, life expectancy at birth was a brief 25 years during the Roman Empire. 25 years on average. Damn. Can you imagine? Yeah. It's you crazy. Die in a war or die of some like illness, disease. disease. Yeah. Yeah. So someone who is between 40 and 60 would be an old, old person. Yeah, very like yeah. hundred old person, like an nowadays hundred old person. Yeah. Yeah. Um what's so with gladiatorial games themselves, um they show it's it's kind of funny. They they depict like one guy's wearing like a is it a bull skull on his head or something with horns? And then another guy's got like a, a helmet sh- shaped like a pig's head. It's just, they look, they look completely ridiculous. Don't know if any of these pieces of armor are historical. Um, and then you have the more sort of common looking pieces of gladiatorial armor. Just do a, do a search or an Akosha search and you'll, you'll see what I mean. You then have, eventually you have Commodus fighting Maximus, which I mentioned earlier. And what I find quite interesting is that Commodus is actually made out to be a very kind of good fighter in movie, even though he doesn't participate in any battles and is sort of like sitting back in his palace. He's actually like, they, they make the fight at the end look rather even, even though you'd expect Maximus to, to win more easily, you know, because he's just more experienced, even though he's wounded. The, the way they do his character is... It, it's something that you would kind of expect to see in a movie about either ancient Romans or ancient Greeks, or I guess in this case, antiquity Romans. Um, I don't quite know when you start calling things ancient versus antiquity versus medieval, but yeah. Uh, and it's at this point, it's worth pointing out that Joachim Phoenix generally seems to play characters with daddy issues. Like just look at any of his movies. They all have daddy issues. He, he he reminds me a lot of um, Kylo Ren from the Star Wars sequels. Oh my god, the other jargon is coming. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> the, the other rabbit hole we discovered in the second one. Seriously, go watch Gladiator and then go watch um, The Force Awakens from 2015 and just just. Tell me it's the same character, just one of them has a lightsaber, whereas one of them has a gladius. It's, yeah, there's there's got to be some similarity there. And I also think that when George Lucas was writing Star Wars, I do think that he took some inspiration, if not quite a bit, from, like, Greek tragedies, Roman tragedies, um, those sorts of, that, that sort of genre. There's, there's something similar in the feel of the movie to the the prequel trilogies that came out around the same time um 1999 2002 and then 2005 uh whereas gladiators of course in 2000 there's it just feels like there's a similar atmosphere that they set up even though one of them is science fiction whereas this one is um of course historical fiction i think i mean i kind of develop a hate love with this movie to some extent, I really love it in terms of entertainment and uh, also, like, I think it's a good picture of how Rome worked. You know, we talked about slavery, we talked about the empire, we talked about power struggle. 
even though it had heaps of you know inaccuracies and uh, i understand that mm-hmm. but at the same time i say you know it could have been a little bit more less hollywood style you know since it yeah. has been such a good you know good work you know in terms of movie development you know i say oh oh my god it, it could have been done much better you know what i mean but overall i think it's uh, one of my best historical movie even though with all you know the constraints about you know historical accuracy what do you think tom i am wondering then what makes this movie hollywood s now obviously it's made by hollywood so there's maybe the simple answer but when you say it's very hollywood what actually is that it's uh when i say hollywood is uh, historical inaccuracies which is uh, one of the main features of uh, hollywood like i think when you sign the contract uh, with hollywood to make a historical movie i think Like it's written in the contract <laughs> that you must make historical inaccuracies. Otherwise, at least ten you. things that didn't happen. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What do um, you think? Tom? One th- one thing that makes it Hollywood, I would say, is the promotion of liberty and democracy as an ideal. One thing that you have running throughout this is Marcus Aurelius's wish to Maximus that he says in private to give the power to the state bring back the Republic, which did, yeah, that did not happen. Marcus Aurelius in real life did not care for that at all. Um, he, he was authoritarianism all the way. It's not overstated in the movie. Um, mm. you, you don't necessarily have Maximus always banging on about the Republic, the Republic, the Republic, but he, that's that's sort of the resolution in the end is that when he eventually is talking as, as a gladiator to Commodus's sister, who I just want to point out that they in the movie they have this kind of weird relationship where Commodus is like romantically interested in her and wants to have some incestual fun times with her. And uh she uh doesn't doesn't feel the same way, which is good. Which is a which is a good thing, and and I'm just thinking uh, that's it's it's kind of it's kind of funny they made him out to be like a bit of a Targaryen, um, for for, for reference, just the Game of Thrones, just any Game of Thrones, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, so yeah, that's that's just kind of a funny weird thing that he has a crush on his sister, um, and he seems to really want to sleep with her, even though she's his sister yeah so that's a that's just a so side note how, from one to ten um, how would you rate this oh, movie b- before i give this movie a, a certain number of marcos out of ten um i just want to say that i think the resolution of the the wishes of the noble emperor who has died to bring democracy back uh being fulfilled and having kind of a stoic yet very family-friendly hero who fights for that cause sort of indirectly because he's also just fighting to kind of avenge him himself. I think that's very Hollywood. That's, that's what makes it Hollywood, is that they, yeah. instead of going from sticking to kind of what maybe Roman values actually were at the time, it's very much, hey, democracy, liberty. He's also fighting for his own freedom as well because he there's that there is a narrative about, 
like if if you if you win enough money or, or I don't actually know it's not money I think he, he gets his gladiator sort of master has this like wooden sword that is given as a as a a representation or like a like a license to be a free man yeah so, yeah I agree completely he actually is directly fighting for his own freedom and then after he as Rome suddenly becomes a republic again, which <laughs> did not happen. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, it's a good point what you said about yeah. you know making like it's an Americanization of the values in the movie. You know, yeah, it, it still it still does kind of have that sort of Greco-Roman tragedy feel to it, though. Um, yeah, of course. So that does set it apart from a lot of other Hollywood films. And what also makes it interesting is you have almost a bit like Braveheart, how the um, the guy's family gets killed at the start rather than a resolution where he goes home to his family. He's, he's alone. Um, and they actually do show a reunification, but it's in the afterlife. So that that is... Yeah. I agree. It's like, interesting. Yeah. But I have a question now, Tom, I, yeah. that it's very pertinent to you. Okay. And uh, do you think... The Roma said Boa or not? <laughs> Did the Romans use the Portuguese boa. word Boa or not? Um, okay. You would, you would have to. <laughs> it's hard, you know. <laughs> oh. Obrigado. Okay. Oh, okay. Let's get okay, so, off this rabbit hole. No, no, no. Hang on. You've, you've asked me this. I need to answer your question. All right. Portuguese, Spanish, and French, and some other one. I can't remember its name. Developed okay. from a what's known as a corrupted version of Latin. I can't remember what it's called. Did you know the name Vul- of it? Like, vulgar. Vulgar. Vulgar Latin. Yeah, it came yeah. from vulgar Latin. All right. So you'd, you'd have to trace um, the the beginning point, end of vulgar Latin in uh, th- what became Portugal to uh, the start of when it actually became Portuguese enough to be called Portuguese because it, it included a lot of... Um, stay tuned for our, our next week's... Um, linguistics podcast well it's probably going to be next week um it's sure. it, it, it incorporated a lot of celtic words and vocabulary whilst keeping sort of latin grammar i think or, or some degree of latin grammar so you ended up with what's what became known as portuguese so you would then have to see when did portuguese start when did it get to a point where you could say this is portuguese and then look at was that area still part of the Roman empire technically? Like even if it was like the Holy Roman empire or something. Now a bunch of other things happened in between like the, um, the, the Muslim conquest of Spain and a whole, a whole series of other historical things. So you'd have to see if the Roman empire still existed the name in Portugal, when Portuguese was being spoken. And then you can have the answer that, the Romans said Boa. I think they did say Boa. I mean, maybe not maybe not Boa, but another term that then became Boa, you know? 
How do you say good in Latin? What is what is the Latin word for good? Mm, I have no idea. I never studied Latin, so yeah. I don't know. It's, fun, it's funny the honest. Italian person saying that. It's like, oh, I didn't yeah. study <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone outside of Italy studied it except for Italians. No, yeah. I mean, many Italians study Latin, but they didn't. Ah, bonum, it's called. Bonum. Oh, yeah. B-O-N-U-N. So it's like boa, you know. It's it's pretty similar to boa, like it's, it's yeah. In Italian, it's buono. Yeah. It's so similar, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, to go down another rabbit hole before we eventually close off this episode, whenever that will be, I don't know. It's not like I'm the editor or anything. Um, question: What were you taught about Julius Caesar in terms of his morality as uh, when when you were? when you were a young Marco in, in Italy. Yeah. I mean, last time I studied the Romans, I was 15, so 10 years ago. But uh, in terms of morality, I think it was a very bad. I think, I mean, there's this kind of uh, stereotype of uh, Julius Caesar as uh, the good conqueror for Rome but at the same time was one of the worst dictators ever that Romans ever faced. So I think when we see and when we study Julius Caesar, we have a very romanticized image of him, which is what didn't happen, you know? And also, I think his assassination has contributed to this thing as well, like to depict him as the like innocent person, you know? But, um, you know, like his Sparta, the, I don't remember what was the name, but a civil war, you know, a civil war was part and he got power by force as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so when the the thing when he crosses the Rubicon River with his army and he said the famous thing Aleayaktas, which means the the die has been thrown, you know. So you cannot yeah. go back to your decision. So we will go to war, you know. So yeah, that's it. So this is my point of view. I think it was a very big dickhead. Yeah. I mean, but how can you judge? How can, how can you judge? How, how can I judge him like 2000 years after? You know, like it's, you know, yeah. but I, something that they say is that he's very romanticized his image in the, yeah, now, like I've nowadays. Got, I've got like a few different conflicting ideas of him because, on the one hand, he did effectively perpetrate a holocaust against celtic people in gaul um and that's of course uh where versongeterix comes into the uh into the tale um for a good rundown not even rundown just an in-depth exploration into that whole topic go check out dan carlin's hardcore history and search for an episode called the celtic holocaust but so that's one thing he did was uh a bit of a bra moment, you know. Um, but I also heard an argument that contrary to the belief of him as a tyrant, that one thing he he planned on doing was uh, he noticed that 
Rome's resources were in the hands of kind of an oligarchy that was just expanding and getting more powerful and that uh, Romans were being being forced off kind of like countryside land, going into the city, flooding the cities. And it was like, you almost had like a, a, a housing crisis similar to what we had now, but then you also had slaves in the society. So I don't know how that came into things as well. And what he wanted to do was effectively bring like almost like nationalize the resources of the country or, or the, the empire. Cause you would really call it a back then. And the interest groups against that were those who were involved in plotting against him. Um, and, and that, that event is often spun in terms of authoritarianism versus democracy. Um, but there might be a, a more economic side to it as well. Now, there's, there is an author who wrote about this and um, sort of a more, I guess, left-wing kind of take on Julius Caesar, and I'd be very interested to read that. I actually don't remember the name of the author. Um, if, if, anyone, um, if anyone who's listening uh, can find it, um, uh, let, let me know. <laughs> Yeah, so complicated figure. I don't think it's as black and white as, as we often think. But um, Yeah, that's right. But, but you're, you're correct in that he's also romanticised as like yeah, kind of this great, great hero. So then, then there's that as well. It's like, okay, so we have a view of him that he was a tyrant, but then we also romanticise him for being this great conqueror. Um, so there's, there's so many different sides to it as well. Um I think he, he actually wrote a, he wrote like a memoir or something. Um, and he wrote it in the yeah, first person. Um, yeah, I don't yeah. remember the name, but when it says Veni Vidi Vici, which means I, came, I saw, no, sorry, I came, I saw, and they won. Very like, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> very humble. Yeah, oh, so, so humble, yeah. So can imagine, just uh, imagine Donald Trump doing something similar. Yeah, that's right. Um, so how yeah. many, like, how many Marcos would you give to this movie? All right, I would give, hmm, if, if we're thinking both historical accuracy and entertainment, obviously for entertainment, I'd give it like 50 Marcos out of 10. But okay. for... For both entertainment and historical accuracy, I'd probably give it a five because mm. the the event it's portraying, uh, I mean, Maximus is a is a completely made up character. Um, he's, he's invented, he's, he's written really well. Um, actually, you know what? I'm going to give it a six. I'm going to go give it a six because even yeah, though- Yeah, me too. They, I think, yeah, I agree. Yeah, they made up a character, but they also wrote him in- uh, it's Hollywood, but it is still kind of a, a Greek Roman tragedy style. So you get some points for that. And there's there's still quite a few things that they did fairly well. Like they still showed this like insane gladiator battle, series of gladiator battles and how how like... Yeah, I think they show how Rome worked. Yeah. They show the good. Yeah. They made a good work to show how Rome worked. 
although it has been inaccurate. So I will give a six, you know. Yeah, it's it still captures kind of the spirit, I guess. Um, and and then of course, you know, for there are lots of things that were historically wrong. Uh, even small things like um, Marcus Aurelius claiming to have basically made the Roman Empire when he didn't expand at all. Uh, it's just worth pointing out the the way that they visually depicted Marcus Aurelius is very similar to the way that he was depicted in a 1964 movie called The Fall of Rome, where he was played by the English actor Alec Guinness. Um, like, go look that up. They, they look very similar. Um, then there's other moments where, like, I'm pretty sure a guy wearing chainmail has a spear just go through his chainmail. Like, just no. <laughs> That's like a, a javelin's not going to go through that. <laughs> Unless you fire it from a ballista, maybe. But, like, it's, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, just yeah, I hope, I hope, actually, yeah. So you go, Tom. I was gonna say inaccuracies aside, six out of ten Marcos. Yeah, no, I yeah. mean, yeah, me too. I think it it's sufficient because he gave a, a good overview of how how Rome worked, regardless is true or not. So I think it. I would recommend to watch the movie in general. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so uh, um, keep going, like be, stay tuned with the next episode. We will cover new interesting topics. So like stay, stay tuned and um, we'll see you soon. And uh, if, if anyone wants us to, to force Soulkate Talk to sing We Didn't Start the Fire, uh, do let me know and uh, it can be arranged. Boa <laughs> tarde. Obrigado e boa tarde. <laughs>